City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. City Limits on 3CR Community Radio. It's so exciting to be back in the actual studio here today coming to you from 21 Smith Street, Collingwood. Fitzroy, corrected by my producer there. Karina, you're allowed to put your microphone on. You know, it's only me and Karina in the studio today, so you don't have to whisper at me. Like, you're on air as well. Yeah, I forgot about that. I'm just uh, I'm just so used to it. <laughs> I'm used to it as well. So I'm Meg Kimber. That was Karina. Karina's not only saying excellent and interesting and insightful things today, <laughs> but also <laughs> pressing all the buttons, making it possible for us to come to air. Man, it's so good to be back in the studio. Um, we're going to – so today is our housing day. We'll talk to Shane McGrath from Housing for the Aged Action Group uh, later in the show and before him we'll be speaking with Catherine from Friends of Public Housing, Housing Action Group. Sorry, I've... Um... I think her main one is Defend and Extend <laughs> Public Defend Housing. Defend and Extend yep. Public Housing. She's got a few interesting little points of conversation that we'll pick up with her and um, at the top of the show we'll be talking about a couple of little news items Things that are happening mostly in Victoria, but also in other parts of the world. In fact, following on from that awesome show, Stick Together, that's just before us, which talks about union stuff. Um, One of the things I wanted to bring up, even though it's not very local, but it is quite interesting when we're looking at maybe the potential beginning of the end of capitalism. Just a hopeful little little thing there, um, is uh, America. Uh, experiencing a lot of labour strikes comparative to what uh, they might normally experience. Um, An interesting occurrence for the land of, you know, the free market and um, the land of poverty wages and um, awful conditions. And so I guess starting with the numbers or a bit of an overview of the numbers – Apparently there's been 176 strikes in the United States this year and um, some of them are pretty big, 60,000 workers that work in the film and television industry in Hollywood. That um, I know when you say the word Hollywood you think, oh, they're all having a wonderful time. But (laughs) um, people who work in that industry have done, you know, they do hours and hours and hours without breaks, without meal times, um, on pretty low pay. Um, so bad conditions, bad pay. They stro- uh, they went on strike and succeeded in improving their paying conditions. And um, 10,000 workers at Deer & Co., which is a um, agricultural manufacturers, 90% of them work- went on strike. Um, 1,400 Kellogg's workers. So the thing I think that's interesting about this is America has had a situation where the pandemic has really shown how 
capitalism operates in terms of people having to keep coming to their jobs or starve or, you know, not have money to pay the rent or buy food, Mm. but go to work and risk uh, death. (laughs) So that's a stark uh, a stark experience and I think now more than ever people are uh, workers in America are saying this is not okay and uh, we at least want like a living wage as a, as a starting point and also a job that doesn't endanger our health. Mm. Yeah. I feel like the US has always had a pretty strong history of um, organising workers but it's funny to see how like the mainstream media kind of frames it as this like, oh, it's due to, you know, an unprecedented wave of resignations mm. and, you know, the pandemic and mm. increased consumer demands and things like this when it's like, actually, no, the nitty gritty of it is the conditions are unfair, the pay is unfair and people are forced into poverty because there are just unfit working conditions. Yeah. Um, the ones that I was most aware of were, was uh, bus driver strikes mm-hmm. that are huge and a lot of them have to do with not only just a pittance of, of a pay but also um, the way that their bus routes have changed um, for for those big yellow school buses, mm. the way that their bus routes have changed, um, how it's unfair on the children, how sometimes it's like 70 kids to a bus mm. and they have to kind of rush through and do all this stuff. Mm. Um, and while I was looking at this stuff, I actually found a pretty nifty little website from Cornell University. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just search it online, it's called the Labor Action Tracker. Um, it's really cool to track strikes from a geographical perspective, I reckon. Um, so it's got maps of everything that they've started tracking since possibly the start of last year, but Mm. um, definitely since the very start of this year. And one of the things I find super interesting as well is that, you know, I guess with smaller workplaces and stuff, it's it might be like harder to track uh might be harder to track what what actions are happening and stuff like this mm-hmm. i know you said there were 176 uh this uh labor action tracker counted um 178 since the start of the year until mm-hmm. maybe like late october mm-hmm. i find this super interesting cuz the U.S. Bureau of Stats only counted 12 work stoppages mm-hmm. um, during that time. Mm. And it's because the, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, the way that they count it is only uh, counting work stoppages that include more than a 1,000 employees uh, with at least one full shift. Mm. And we know... Uh, like even in Australia, the way the way that work is going, you know, they're so much worse. You know that increased casualization and stuff. It's like this counts, but this doesn't. Mm-hmm. A um, really convenient way to fudge some numbers. Yeah, but that's a really cool little little tracker, and um, yeah, they they kind of brought that together to to kind of raise raise coverage about it and encourage more people to to mm-hmm. organize in the workplace and yeah I think that's real cool I think so too I think it's it's a bit of a shame there's only about apparently the statistic is there's 11 percent union membership in America but um 
yeah, we'll see what happens after that. It is the land of aspiration. And I think that, um, you know, that's part of the story of why people, you know, um, people accept poverty wages and bad conditions is because there's this myth of being able to work your way up through the system, which is really strong in, in the, in the, um, mythology of the United States. So we'll see. Apparently in April, Joe Biden founded a task force to promote labor organizing. So some interesting things happening in the US and uh, in terms of labor. Big question mark over that one. Yeah, (laughs) I really wonder about that as well. But anyway, we'll uh, watch and see. (laughs) So something that I was looking at, uh, a little bit more local now, um, that's been covered pretty well actually here at 3CR as far as I can tell. Um, mentioned on Wednesday breakfast this morning, if you wanted to check it out. Also, Marissa did a really great interview on doing time on Monday about it, um, was the announcement on Friday about a proposal, uh, to raise the age of criminal responsibility in Victoria from 10 to 12 years of age Mm -hmm. following a meeting of attorneys general, um, this is, like, pretty ludicrous, I think. Like, if you're imagining 12, 12 years of age, that's, like, mm. primary school age. Mm. Um, and we're better than this. So there are heaps of groups uh, and organisations that are calling for the Victorian government to review this and reconsider the age for uh, for criminal responsibility uh, to meet medical and international standards which is 14 years of age Mm. I personally still think this is this is too young Mm. um but yeah just what is it in other states what is the age it's a bit of a um, I'm not sure off the top of my head I Mm. believe in the ACT there it it is either 14 or they're considering changing Mm. it to 14 but Mm. uh not off the top of my head I don't have those numbers but yeah. We are better than that, you know, like especially when you look at like detention rates for indigenous Australians and the way that criminal um criminal activity is defined to be really prejudiced and racist. That's especially concerning. And that and that like like carceral attitude towards mm. towards people just does not work. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not rehabilitation. It's not it doesn't it doesn't work like that. You put someone in the system and then it just worsens worsens the inequality that they may already be facing. Mm. In a time where um, we've already kind of got this, this uh, the state does at least have this kind of trigger-happy attitude towards, um, towards order during the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, um, the pandemic management bill has been in the news and it's something else that we have uh, flagged as something worth having a little look at on City Limits today. Um, The pandemic – so the pandemic management bill is put in place to replace the um, emergency powers. So emergency powers are meant to just be there temporarily and they've been in place since March 2020. Which is like just, where do we even start with that whole situation? But um, 
emergency powers obviously grant the executive branch of government, um, which is the um, premier and uh, the I can't remember, I can't think of the name right now. I have had a coffee, but uh, it hasn't really helped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> premier and uh, cabinet, I would say. Um, uh, they it grants them special powers to basically be able to um, make make into law quickly um, certain things that are seen to be necessary to respond to an emergency. Um, but because that uh, emergency powers works in a different way to how legislation normally comes into becoming law, um, it does mean that it doesn't have the same amount of scrutiny that it would have if it went through all of the processes that things normally need to go to. So, for example, like um, uh, detaining people usually has to follow, you know, there are rules about how and when and why you can detain people. But if you have emergency powers in place, uh, as an example, as part of the pandemic, we saw people detained to their homes in um, public housing uh, without there being any knowledge of those individuals having COVID, for example. Um, So these kind of things happen um, under emergency powers because they're special powers. And then a big part of the question has been how do these powers, how are they put under scrutiny? How are they examined? How are they determined to be fair or unfair? Um, so the new bill is, uh, changing how these things happen. Um, there is a scrutiny of acts and regulations committee as part of the, um, government in Victoria and they will be part of making sure that this pandemic management bill is appropriate, but there already has been a lot of feedback on the one hand. It's good that they are putting more uh, measures to have more scrutiny. But on the other hand, there's still, you know, some some uh, organisations, for example, the Centre for Public Integrity, who we've had on the show quite a few times, has been one of them that has been flagging. Still, there are some shortcomings. Anyway, that bill is currently, I think, has gone through the lower house and about to go through the upper house with the support of some independents most likely to pass. So, yeah, end of emergency powers in Victoria and the beginning of the pandemic management bill. Right. Yeah. Wow. So so that's before Parliament. And how long do you think that'll take to go through? I don't – I think it'll be very soon. Um, it, it really has to happen before December 15, which is when the emergency powers end. Right. Yep. Yep. And so we'll see – oh, one thing that uh, is – not in the bill is the protection of the right to protest. So it's an interesting one for us at 3CR and um, activists in general is that the right to protest, even socially distant protest, is not sort of enshrined in that. Yeah. That's very strange. It seems like um, not an accidental omission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe <know>. not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of emissions. <laughs> nice segue. Thank you. Um, Kevin convinced me to buy a copy of the Financial Review yesterday. So oh, my God. I know. You just gave $3 to those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to do it behind a paywall on the, yeah. on the internet anyway. Yeah. So 
I went to the news agency and did the thing. Um, so Woodside Petroleum has secured a $4.9 billion commitment from a US-based infrastructure giant for its Pluto LNG expansion project in WA, um, it says, clearing the way for the biggest resources scheme to be built in the country for almost a decade, even as the Glasgow Climate Pact ramps up emission pr- emissions pressures. Mm. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism for this, and some of it's been uh, that over the next 30 years, Mm. There simply won't be any gas reserves mm. by that plan. So it's like a just just thrashing it, just mm. just taking all you can get. And also, you know, like thinking about the way that they um, extract and obtain liquefied natural gas, it's not it's not carbon neutral. It's not. It's not helpful at all. It's just it's just feeding the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's a big old situation. What What else would you expect? I feel yeah. like. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought that was worth worth mentioning because yep. you know we've got we've got climate at the forefront of mm. of mm. so much of what we've mm. been discussing here as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's just – it's likely to run dry. Mm. And, you know, obviously the financial review takes a financial spin on that, like whether or not it will be, you know, be- beneficial to, to pursue that from yeah. from a money perspective. But at the same time it's like, well, mm. we'll just leave it there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Environmental perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny too because the Fin Review is like one of the only places that you actually – you'd have to read it every day to get a, a hold of all of the kind of extractive um, work that's happening all over Australia. Um, maybe we need a map like they have for the US strikes that just shows you – it's probably be really depressing. But I think these kind of resource extraction industries are just going for it. I think more so now that they know like that – it's really is it has to be the end of that kind of that kind of industry if any if we're going to follow the um the protocols to reduce it, like reduce the risk of a climate emergency or try to mitigate that what happens mm. so um yeah something australia has to come on board at some point it's going to come kicking and screaming but it must have to yeah, it's 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 funny to take a look at the papers and it's just like deals, 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 left, right and centre and it's like, well, actually a lot of the Asian countries that we would be exporting to yeah. have kind of made some form of commitment towards yeah. something yeah. Yeah. more than Australia and, and, and potentially yeah. by, by the time mm-hmm. we're considering to end these things won't even be wanting to 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 import gas from us totally yeah doesn't really make sense well we can take a break and go to our first guest uh you're listening to city limits on 3cr community radio nice i'm gonna play a song um it's about emotional debt but let's pretend (laughs) it's about other kinds of debt (laughs) this is can you get to that by funkadelic
million people amidst a war zone are creating a new society based on principles that are near the hearts of many radicals in Australia. Welcome to AANES, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, formerly known as Rojava. Thursday midday to 1pm, join me, Joseph Toscano, for a 10-part series of conversations with members of a civil diplomacy centre in the city of Posts from Ennis, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, a flourishing radical experiment in direct democracy in the midst of a war zone, as part of 3CR's Acting Up series on Thursday at midday on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up. And we're still talking about revolution.
Right, talking about revolution on city limits on 3CR and we are joined by Catherine Murdoch from Defend and Extend Public Housing. That's right, isn't it, Catherine? Is that your main group? Absolutely. We've got to defend it before we can extend it. Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. Got quite a few things on the on the list to, uh, to talk about. What start with yeah. the uh, vigil dates on Parliament steps for Defend and Extend? Yes, we've got to make room for ourselves on those steps of Parliament at the moment. They're pretty occupied. Mm. But the good news is, um, this Thursday, the eighteenth, from midday to one, we'll be on the steps of Parliament for our vigil steps to a home, mm. and on. Um, Tuesday the 23rd of November from 6.30 till 7.30. So it's an awesome chance to be a presence that's seen as well as um, engaging with community who aren't aware of all the issues around public housing at the moment as well as a great opportunity to connect with like-minded people who want to make a difference. So having attended the last three RAC actions for... Um, people seeking asylum in Carlton, it was just so empowering to resume rallies, Mm. you know, to take action. You felt empowered, you connected with great people and then also the people that you're voicing and taking action for, you're seen by them to be doing something which is just so important. It does make a difference, doesn't it? And are you having people engage with, you said you get a chance to talk to people, are you having people engage with the with the topic of public housing? Sorry, what do you mean by that question? When you're at the rally, do you find people are um, are, are come, uh, have questions or see what's happening there and have uh, interested in, in the topic? Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we get new people joining us. Um, we have people who hear about it and then decide that they want to come along or talk about their personal experience because they're living on the streets mm-hmm. um, or what's happening in their local area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really beneficial from that um, perspective. And when Parliament's sitting, um, there's always a chance um, mm-hmm. or the opportunity to chat to some of the people entering and leaving. Mm-hmm. And Parliament's back soon, isn't it? In a couple of weeks, I think. I'm not sure of the exact date. Okay. I have had my eye on a few things happening. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah. Great. And I just want to say that that invitation is extended to everyone um, because at the moment, you know, collaboration and being a, a powerful collective is the only way we're going to live true democracy and achieve outcomes. You know, so we've extended that invitation to the Homes Not Prisons group. Um, who campaign actively mm. for um, Dan Andrews to build homes, mm-hmm. not incarcerate more people and extend the prison at Dane Phyllis Frost, and also, of course, to everyone involved in Friends of Public Housing. It's a great chance to connect and talk and share information as well. Mm, totally. Nice one. Um, what else do we have on the list to talk about today? Oh, okay. On that note, just letting people know that they can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia group page on Facebook or um, the page, as well as um, Homes Not Prisons have got a page on Facebook and they've got a petition up and they've also got posters on offer for businesses 
and community spaces that want to put those up. Mm. And Friends of Public Housing have got their Facebook page and they also have a blog. And that's a really important source of information for people who want to learn more or know the facts behind what's going on. Nice. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I had a shout-out for Gamal, who lives in Derby Street, Kensington, and he's a long-time resident, and he is one of the most awesome um, sellers for the big issue in mm. Melbourne. <laughs> he's into Grave Street every morning, bright and early, and um, I was speaking to him the other day, and he was so proud because the big issue has put together their 2022 calendar and he's Melbourne Mr June. <laughs> so Mr awesome. June or was it July? He's <laughs> representing Melbourne yeah. and there's a beautiful photo of him and that was just due to his longevity in that mm. role and the beautiful way that he um, engages with people and the customer service he gives. Nice. That's awesome. It is awesome. And anyone in town, you know, just give him a big, hey, well done, and stop and say hello to him. Nice. Um, And it's just, I think, proof that people living in public housing thrive. You know, housing is just that that support, that backbone um, that enables people to really flourish. Absolutely. Thanks. That's a really lovely comment. And um, I didn't realise the big issue calendar was ready already. I'll go out and find it somewhere. Yeah. Have you got your copy? Not yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Soon. Um, So there's been a Housing for the Aged, uh, sorry, uh, Housing Action Group meeting in Wonthaggy. Is that right? Yes, but I'm actually going to bypass that if that's okay with you. Go for it, Um, We'll see how we go time-wise. Okay. And I wanted to talk about um, what's happening in Collingwood at the moment. Great. And I'm sharing this information that um, Stephen Jolly's been updating people on. Mm -hmm. Um, The city of um, Garakant... Stephen Jolly's the um, councillor for... uh, in One the, of the councillors yeah. in the city of Yarra. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and on November the 6th, um, the council had a meeting via Zoom um, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, putting aside that the new public housing that's um, going to be built in Collingwood on the Collingwood Public Housing Estate, that it should be public housing not social, mm. and leaving it aside that, you know, it actually should be being built on the to-be-shut-down um, vehicle centre instead of a space that's already maximised and at capacity. Mm. They were discussing that with the two new um, towers being built, they're being constructed on the residence car park, um, so... Mm. The construction will take two years and then there'll be no parking. Mm. Um, so there was a proposal being put forward for the underground car park that's not being used at the moment to be utilised. And I've really got to, you know, say it was fantastic because um, Valentina, Corey Membry and Brian Joss um, 
all people who live in public housing were invited to speak at mm. that meeting um, and to consult, and a resolution was passed um, to do just that, mm. you know, issuing a statement that they want the government to actually take action and reopen the public um, car park. Mm, okay. So it's come from the City of Yarra Council and has to go to the Victorian Government to be actioned, yes, is it? And, mm. Yep, yep, and petition and say, hey, we've consulted mm. and, you know, look, these are the problems and these are how, this is how the um, residents are going to be impacted both current and future mm. and this is what we're proposing Great. as one of the solutions, which okay. is really positive. Yeah, that yeah. is positive. Any, any news from the government on a reply on that yet or not? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> it would be surprising if it moved that quickly, but yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yes. But it's so important and encouraging to hear that that public housing residents are actually given given the voice to speak and, you know, have their say in in you know the in the council meeting you know absolutely yeah. absolutely you know all these um bodies that supposedly represent the people but no one's consulted on anything there's no referendums there's no discussion process mm. happening mm. so that was what really heartened me about this and um I thought it was great and hopefully um, it's something that continues across the board. Mm. Thanks, Catherine. Good good to get a positive update somewhere in the mix. Isn't it nice yeah. to have some positive news? <laughs> <laughs> if Kevin was here, he'd say that's not what City Limits is about, but uh-huh. we're in charge this time, so yeah, <laughs> we're going to get some good news. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've got time. Um, was there anything else about that or...? Um, no, I was mm-hmm. just going to mention, and I'll do a, um, a direct quote from Jack Vernon, who couldn't join us today. Um, he yeah. said, um, well said by the Greens on Yarra Council and the sellout by Labor on the public of Victoria is reprehensible. Um, the plight of our most needy is being um, relegated behind projects to benefit Labor's private business mates. Mm-hmm. So Kevin will like that quote. Yeah, well, that yeah. from Jack. <laughs> That'll cheer him up after the all the good news. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and um, friends of, of um, public housing have um, got a blog spot on that. So if you go to the um, Friends of Public Housing Facebook page, and that will lead you into the blog spot where there's. Um, a comment on the Greens' proposal for social housing at the moment. Mm, okay, yeah. I was going to maybe see if uh, when Shane joins us if he had any comments on that at the moment. But, yeah, do you have anything yep. you wanted to add about the Greens' plan for social housing or we have um, talked about it a at little bit? At this point in time, mm. I don't. Maybe mm. it's something we can revisit again mm. next month. Yep, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And we've um, got... Yeah, sorry, go, Catherine. Go on. Oh, we've got a, we've got about um, four minutes left, and um, did you want to cover about Wanthaggy or? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. In the spirit of collaboration and sharing skills, and you know, consultation, um, Howard Morossi has a relationship with um, Jessica 
Harrison in Wonsaggi. And they went down, Joe Toscano and um, Howard went down to Wonsaggi a couple of years back. And that, that's how that relationship burst and has continued. And um, so the three of us, Howard, Jack and I, joined a Zoom meeting um, because in Wonsaggi there is a real public housing crisis um, and the caravan parks shutting down and um, the Bass Shire will be allocated dollars to spend. So what Jessica's doing is, along with residents, both in public housing and community members who are interested and want to be involved for the best outcome for their town um, and to meet the needs of the people, they have um, started up working groups mm -hmm. to discuss the different options that are available and evaluate what the best um, mix or what the best solution will be. So that was really, um, I felt really privileged to be able to be involved awesome. in that discussion. And, you know, once again, across the country, um, as well as in regional, Vic, just keeping in touch with each other, um, you know, sharing information and supporting each other. Mm. Because as I said, it's all about... Um, you know, growing that collective action so that we can have the most powerful voice but get an outcome nice. in terms of public housing. That's awesome, be able to share some of the strategies and um, and tools that you have from yes. the campaigns here in Melbourne with, with yeah, mm. more um, rural or remote areas. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we learn too, you know, mm. so... So that's, mm. that's great. Mm. So everyone, I, I think, you know, the message is I'd love to see some people with us tomorrow from 12 to 1. Mm -hmm. And we normally go for a coffee afterwards. We've got our banner there. And we've also said that everyone is welcome to bring their own banners and literature and everything because it's, mm. it's about sharing and about gathering together. Absolutely right. Good on you, Catherine. And we'll include those dates. I'll just repeat again for the vigils, Steps to a Home uh, on the Parliament Steps, Thursday 18th, which is tomorrow midday to 1pm. And then the next one will be on Tuesday the 23rd of November, if I'm not wrong, from 6.30 to 7.30pm. And we'll include those in the show notes same with the blog by Friends of Public Housing and mm -hmm. all the other info from today. You can find that at 3cr.org.au forward slash city limits. Thank you so much for coming on today, Catherine. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you <laughs> and thank you for sharing that information mm. and um, I hope you both have a wonderful day today. And welcome back to the studio. Woohoo! Yeah. It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Catherine. It would be nice to Thanks. have you in here in the future as yeah. well. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, so that was uh, Catherine from uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio, and we're going to go to a bit of a break. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website. Representing your local street, 
neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Like, hello, you know, all stories may may be important, but at the end of the day, Invasion Day, you can't compare that to the First Fleet because Invasion Day was the start of a dispossession, murder, massacres and the total annihilation of some people on a continent that had existed since time immemorial. So Scott Morrison, if he really wants to lead this country, he needs to shut his mouth in regards to those comments and really understand that Australia Day cannot be celebrated. It is a day of mourning for our people and they would not celebrate the Holocaust. You know, so I don't understand how that is any different than what our people went through because the genocide continues today. Like Scott Morrison really needs to take a step back and listen to the voices on the ground because he's really ignorant in my view. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Listening to City Limits on 3CR, and we're joined by Shane McGrath from Housing for the Aged Action Group. Thanks, Shane. Uh, hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. That's good. Um, thanks for coming on today. We're going to get a little catch up about what Housing for the Aged Action Group have been up to. Do you want to start with that before I throw some random and potentially difficult questions on you about various uh, <laughs> <laughs> household, various um, housing questions? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think what Hank has been up to is maybe the more difficult uh, <laughs> okay. random question. Right. Um, we've got our, I, I will mention that we have our AGM tomorrow, so it's, it's still open for people who'd like to join in. Uh, I think we've reached capacity for the in-person meeting. Uh, Exciting that we can even have an in-person meeting at this Mm. point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's still plenty of room for people who want to join by Zoom. Uh, Just give us a call. It's open to Uh, everybody or just members? What a great question. Look, uh, I believe that it is open to the public. Uh, You'd probably want to give us a call and and confirm that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're you're an older person or a pensioner, then uh, your membership is free, so uh, there shouldn't be a a barrier to to accessing it. Mm. Um, for older renters. Great. Um, on the topic of older renters, did you have anything else before I ask you this question? Um, did you have anything else about ha- what's happening at, at HAG? Um, um, no, let's, let's no. jump into it. Okay. Well, let me just mention, sorry, right. uh, Fiona York, our executive officer, was giving evidence yesterday to a, a parliamentary inquiry about uh, the disability pension. Um, obviously, that's been a, a big concern for older renters, well, for, for older workers uh, of all kinds, um, for, for quite a while now, uh, people probably realise that, that even for people with quite significant disabilities or quite significant medical conditions, uh, it's extremely and unreasonably difficult to get uh, off of New Start and onto a disability pension. Uh, so, yeah, it was good to have an opportunity to, to present some evidence about that as part of an inquiry. Great. 
So that sounds very important to to have that voice of of Hag there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to check in with you about was I've been reading that the National Rental Affordability Scheme is coming to an end quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um, imagining that's um, impacting on older renters in particular. Um, would that be correct? And can you sort of give listeners an, an overview of what the scheme is and, and, and what it means for it to end? Sure. I mean, the, the NRAS scheme has been running for, what, 10 years? So it disproportionately does tend to affect older renters. Uh, it was a kind of global financial crisis era, uh, Kevin Rudd stimulus initiative. Um, uh, housing providers, uh, including you know private landlords, community organisations, all kinds of things, were uh, offered incentives to uh, provide affordable rentals, quote-unquote affordable, uh, at no more than 80% of the market rate. Um, obviously people will immediately realise that if the market rate is, is wildly unaffordable, then 80% of wildly unaffordable is <laughs> a whole lot better. Um, but, but certainly provided some benefits to people who, you know, couldn't access things like public and social housing uh, and were locked out of home ownership or, and would otherwise have just been, you know, in the wilds of private rental. Um, the... You know, the end of the scheme is disappointing, but I, I don't think we've defended it as a, a great scheme in the first place. <laughs> uh, we, we'd rather see, you know, a, a more full-blooded housing policy that involves, you know, proper proper building of public public housing in particular. Mm. One of the criticisms was that um, it gives the uh, payout of the extra, like the government pays out the extra 20% that, was reducing the what the rent would have been down to 80%. That extra 20% was sometimes apparently more than 20% and went straight to developers or investors um, who... who So really that, that that sort of private market has profited from the scheme a bit more than, than some of the tenants may have. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's, it's implicit in the way the scheme was set up. You know, when you decide to use the private use government money to fund the private market to, to provide housing. That, that is a handout to investors. Mm. Um, yeah. And a lot of them were in Queensland, right? But um, imagining that you're seeing some people affected in Victoria um, and and there's a estimation that this will see more people on the um, wait list for public housing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, there's definitely enraged properties in Victoria. I'm not really sure about the, the numbers or the split-by-state. Mm, okay, cool. Um, I wanted to check in with you as well. We um, so we had Catherine on from Defend and Extend Public Housing, and um, talked about a couple of. We touched on a couple of issues, and I'm wondering if you might have something else to add to them. One is the Greens' plan for social housing. What's Hag's response to this at, at the moment? It's been in conversation for a little while, but just a bit of an update. Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally we would say that. You know, the HAG obviously doesn't endorse political parties, but the Greens housing policies are consistently closer to what we would want to see than, than any other major party. Um, before the last federal election, we made, you know, just this little graphic that kind of had five key uh, benchmarks for older people's housing and a, a ticker across or a question mark next to each of them for each of the major parties. Uh, and I think the Greens got like four ticks and a question mark and no other party got a tick of, you know, for, for anything at all. Uh, so I think generally we've favoured the, the Greens policies, you know, that they've been closer to what we what we would endorse. The, um, were there specific questions about the policy that you wanted to talk about? No, just general. 
general. Mm. I mean, the Greens talking about building one million homes, mm. you've got to say that that's you know, unambiguously a good thing. Uh, one million homes would be a, a great contribution. Uh, I think 750,000 set aside for public and social housing. Uh, obviously, we have a concern that we've talked about many times on the show about the difference between public and social housing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, the, what the split would be, how many of these are actually in public hands, how many of these are actually held to standards of transparency and accountability that public housing provides uh, versus, you know, the social housing provided by not for pro- private not-for-profit organisations uh, that can have very different policies, much much less uh, sort of fair and equitable policies in some areas. The part of the policy that I guess I'd have the most concerns about is the, the proposal to build 125,000 shared equity homes uh, for first home buyers. So the, the aspect of, of the policy that involves, you know, these, these houses that uh, you can buy for, or that are valued at 300,000 or that are sold at 300,000, you can buy into them for a 10% deposit, uh, buy up to 75% equity over time by making these kind of mortgage-style payments to the government. Uh, I personally would love this uh, as someone who would like one day to be a first-home buyer myself. That sounds delightful. Um, but as a policy, I guess I'm concerned about the, the ways that seems like a transfer of public money to, to private buyers. Uh, but a lot of these homes ultimately will end up in the hands of investors and you know, there's going to be very substantial windfalls for for individual buyers who who access these in the first place at such a, a low cost mm-hmm. and then are able to sell them on the open market later on. Mm. That's a challenge for a lot of um, per, like purchase properties that are given discounts or things like that and then how do you regulate whether what they sell for later on? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for that comment on on that. Um, One of the other things that we touched on with Catherine was um, she was talking about some collaboration with some residents in Montagui who um, they're they're facing a caravan park closure. And I know that Housing for the Age Action Group has done um, some work on on, um, how caravan parks are sort of managed and legislated and 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 how housing, how residents there are protected. Any news or comments on, on that in general or well, specifically if you know about what's happening in Wontagi? Uh, I did not know specifically about what's happening in Wontagi. Okay. I'm going to have to listen back to the show to find out. Um, that is yep. definitely an issue that, that we've been talking about for quite a while and I would encourage you know anyone either in that park or affected by it to give us a call. We'd love to have a chat with Catherine about it. Mm. Um, it's been a persistent problem over the last maybe decade or so that, you know, the value of the land that caravan parks and residential parks sits on, you know, often often rises. You know, you could sell the land for for much better price than what you can get out of it by mm-hmm. renting it out to, to individuals. And, you know, modern caravan parks, dwellings, often are, are not relocatable in any meaningful sense. So there's a, a tremendous problem for people who uh, not only are homeless but have these very substantial assets that they you know, need to consider whether it's possible to move or whether they're just going to be bulldozed into the ground when the park mm. closes. Mm. Um, there, there are some protections in the amended Residential Tenancies Act that are supposed to help residents in situations like this. Um, so, uh, I mean, again, I don't know the specifics of that situation, but would strongly encourage the residents to get advice about their rights. Mm. Great. Thank you. And um, 
we will finish up soonish, but in a, in a few minutes. But um, on the topic of the amended Residential Tenancy Act that came into force, I think um, March this year. <clears throat> have you seen anything now that it's been in place for a while about how those protections are actually being enforced and whether they're being um, whether uh, renters know about their rights, uh, their um, yeah updated kind of rights and yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good, so that's a good question. Let me start with the part about whether renters know about their rights uh, and then talk about some of the issues about uh, the new provisions. Cool. So, I mean, I think the answer is yes and no. People know that, that there has been changes. You know, people in particular know there are new rules about pets. I don't think anyone could miss the, the media barrage a year or two ago about, you know, how you're allowed to have a pet now. Um, <laughs> but people may not be well informed about other rights, um, you know, especially people who uh, have less access to information online, uh, who, you know, uh, are kind of locked out of accessing information on the Consumer Affairs website or things like that. Mm. Um, people may be, yeah, really under-informed about how things have changed, uh, what new protections there are and things like that. Um, I think we've seen kind of some good and some bad in terms of how the new provisions have been interpreted. Um the VCAT looked... So there was a, a kind of complex question because, of course, the amended rental laws replaced the COVID emergency laws that we mm. had uh, until March, which included things like an eviction moratorium and, you know, a, a, a protection against, uh, you know, breach of contract mm. where the issue was about rent payments that you couldn't make because of COVID or, or, or similar things. So VCAT made a decision, essentially, that those protections no longer applied, that uh, as soon as the emergency rental laws ended, you could be evicted uh, for for arrears that had accrued during mm. the period of the of the COVID emergency laws. Mm. Um, happily, that decision was appealed to the Supreme Court, and the, uh, so there, there was a finding that actually the, the protections did continue to apply for some time. Uh, they don't apply anymore, but at least they were a little bit better than VCAT initially was inclined to, to decide. Mm. Um, I think that one of the more positive things that's come out of the changes has been uh, the, the requirement that an eviction or, or that an application for a possession order, which is the kind of legal step before an eviction, uh, has to be reasonable and proportionate. So VCAT will look at all the factors in, in the behaviour of both the parties, if there is any behaviour alleged on behalf on, on the part of the tenant or the renter, um, and you know, in all the circumstances, is it reasonable and proportionate to evict this person? Is it reasonable and proportionate that this person be made homeless so that the landlord can renovate? Or is it reasonable and proportionate uh, that this person who, who faces serious health risks is there forced to move away from services, you know, that the landlord wants to let her sister's cousin move in? Mm. Um, there's a kind of balancing there. And VCAT has made some decisions that were uh, generally more favourable to renters. So... Mm. That's a discretion they have that they didn't have before. Mm. Previously, VCAT pretty much had to kick you out if the landlord had you know, filled out the paperwork correctly. Yeah. Um, so even though it's not going to benefit everyone, it, it is a big improvement on what we had before. Interesting. Obviously, depends on people testing that and knowing that they can take something to VCAT, which obviously people don't always know, but good to know and, and uh, good to keep the, getting the message out there that renters do have that option. Yeah, I mean, it's more of like a, a last-ditch protection, you know. Yeah. You don't want to be relying on that if you can avoid it. But mm. obviously there's lots of people in, in private rental in particular who just can't avoid it, who who will be in a position of needing 
uh, any extra time they can get, any protections they can get. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Shane. It's been good to have you on. We've just got a few minutes left, and um, if there's any updates in particular that you've thought of uh, while, while you've been here and you want to let people know about what's happening with Hazards of the Age Action Group, of course there's your show on um, on, on 3CR on Raise the, the Roof. Wednesday, that's right. Yep, 5.30 to 6 p.m. What was that second and fourth Wednesday of every month? Yeah. That's right. I think um, you did a really good job of spruiking the snacks. That'll be at your AGM last <laughs> show because the in-person attendance has been filled out. But maybe if you could give the number for people to call to attend on Zoom or via telephone on at 11 to 1 tomorrow. Thank you so much. So, yeah, the number that people can call if they want to arrange to attend is uh, 03-9654-7389 and you'll want to press extension 3. So that's 9654-7389. And yeah, sorry that the, the snacks are all booked out. But, uh, <laughs> BYO snacks online. if you're attending yeah. online. <laughs> okay, we better wrap it up. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Shane, and we'll talk to you in about in, about, in a month. Thank you very much. Okay. That was Shane McGrath from Housing for the Aged Action Group. And um, you've been listening to City Limits. Up next is Anarchist World this week with Joe Toscano. And uh, thanks, Karina, for pressing the buttons and making it possible for us to come to air. And pressing I'm the buttons. <laughs> pressing the buttons. Flicking the switches. Yeah. And having a chat. So, yeah. It's been a pleasure and sorry, Kevin, we had no tea, so suck eggs. (laughs) You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.